Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking health. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners. Sarah and I are no longer awkwardly staring (laughs) at each other or touching each other. We're no longer sitting bizarrely close to each other. (sighs) This huge sense of relief that you're (laughs) on another side of a screen. I don't have to look at you in the eyes. I'm like a nine and a half hour drive away, so safety. (laughs) safety from hugs and I don't know what else. Well, I, I did get waffles out of it, so I'm not going to complain. You did. I was I was uh, writing my newsletter about your visit. I was like, well, what did we do? I was like, we went to the science museum, and we played a lot of board games, and we ate a lot of good food. Yeah. I mean, sounds like a great time to me. That's that's time. my idea of a good time. I don't know what else people are looking for, but... I mean, we got to be nerds, and and then we got to be a different kind of nerd. Totally. <laughs> And then we got to eat good food. I mean, that's all the good stuff. And our uh, kids were attached at each other's hips, so that's always cute to watch. Uh, especially our eight-year-olds. Who, yes. Um, they, it's so funny because uh, Mira keeps talking about, like, you know, can I, you know, can I, because we've had our spring break this past week while your boys have been back to school. She's like, can I FaceTime with Wesley now? I'm like, well, Wesley's at school. <laughs> like, it's not going to work right now. And so she keeps like thinking about it like right in the middle of the day. So it'll be interesting to see what happens like this this upcoming week. But um, she has been talking nonstop about basically how great it was to play Lego Dimensions. (laughs) It is, you know, Wesley's kind of the expert. It's been one of his favorite games for a long time. So it was good that he was there to kind of teach her some stuff and goodies yeah no it was um they were all they were all super adorable i i really love i mean i guess it shouldn't be a surprise given how well we get along that our kids get along as well as they do but at the same time like i don't like i i've had enough experiences in my life where i like think my kids are gonna go along with someone else's kids and it it doesn't really pan out that way so it's really nice to see them just kind of all be able to share in this like intense shared nerdiness that they all have it's awesome i love it yeah matt even joked when we had been there a little while that the eight-year-olds were getting along better than we get along because they literally (laughs) hadn't left each other's sides (laughs) no i mean they were literally glued together but it was um well okay I used the word literally wrong there. They were figuratively glued together. Yes. And listen, um, I got schooled on what literally meant at your dinner table. So. My eight-year-old went on a long rant about the difference between literally and figuratively. I figure I better, you know, correct it and use it properly use now. Use it accurately. Yes. They were figuratively glued together. Um, and, um, and it was, I mean, it was, it was so nice. And really it ended up being uh, for us, you pretty much that defined our spring break because after you guys left, 
uh, Adele got like a, just a crazy bad head cold. I hope she didn't share those germs with you guys. Um, but it, it just kind of like all of the other plans that we had for spring break just went out the window because she was, uh, she had, she got a man cold is actually what she got. So <laughs> I don't like, she's normally, I think they call that a tween cold, a tween cold. I was like, holy smokes, you're like insufferable right now. And I, I mean, like she was very obviously sick, but at the same time, like so crazy whiny. Um, so, uh, you know, now I'll get it next week and I'll totally have a man cold myself and I'll like totally be like, oh, now I get it. But uh, I'm knocking on wood right right there. Um, but yeah, so we had planned on going hiking and doing a, you know, backyard camping trip and like all of those things were like, well, you know, spending four hours trying to stay warm by hiking up a mountain is probably not the best thing for you right now. And since the weather was dropping down to close to freezing at night, I'm like, well, sleeping outside, if we're going to be too cold, that's probably not the best thing for you right now. So we ended up um, just kind of having much, a much more lower key, read a lot of books, watched movies, you know, I got more work done than I anticipated for spring break. So, you know, it was, it was, it ended up being fine. It was actually very, um, a very recharging sort of break because of it. But uh, we had all these like great intentions that didn't, didn't end up coming to fruition over the break. I'm sorry to hear she doesn't feel well. I don't think we got any germs, but let's hope that she's mostly over it now. You know, she seems to be on the tail end. So um, it was just one of those, you know, she was staying up late and not getting enough sleep and, uh, tis the season for all the things going around still. So I think she just kind of got herself a little run down, but she's, she's going to be fine to go to school tomorrow and she'll be super excited. So after we left your house and the 10 hour car ride home, which marked something like, let's see, 25 hours overall. Cause it elongates the trip to go Atlanta versus just going straight mm-hmm. home. Um, Matt and I got in the car the next morning, so we slept in our bed one night, and then he and I went to New York City for a 21-hour fling in New York City, and then coming home again for five hours, um, all that whole while in the car sitting on my bed back, but um, I ended up, it ended up being fine. I'm really learning how to, like, not... um, tense my muscles, which is where I think a lot of like the pain comes from. So the more that I relax and the more that I sit in comfortable ways versus like trying to clench up and all that, um, has helped. So the car rides weren't that bad, but New York city was amazing. We went for one purpose and one person purpose alone, (laughs) which was to see cursed child. And, um, for those people who don't know, my family, me in particular, are huge Harry Potter fans. And um, in particular, Matt and I, like, listened to the audiobooks together doing, like, couples long weekend car rides when we were dating. That was a thing that we would do. And so it's kind of got a special place in our family's hearts. And we had tickets to see Cursed Child in London. That's the Harry Potter follow-on play. Um it's called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and it debuted in London almost two years ago. And tickets were really expensive and hard to get, and Matt gifted them to me uh, the Christmas 
that Andrew died. And the gift was that Andrew was going to watch the boys while we went to London. And so that ended up being a real heartbreaking thing that we didn't really even want to go. And it was really hard to even fathom who would watch the children while we were gone because everybody else in our lives, you know, can't take off for a week and take the boys to school and all that kind of stuff. So um, we ended up gifting the tickets to um, just a a fan family in London, which was uh, a nice gift in a way for us to kind of release that at the time. And I had kind of given up on the idea of going. um, And then it came to New York City. It's on Broadway. It um, releases, I think, formally the 22nd of April. Um, But we got really lucky and just lucked into being able to get pre-show tickets at a decent price. And, um, the minute that I booked them, I like didn't even care who was going to watch my kids that day. (laughs) It was just like, I'll go by myself if I have to. Um, so I grabbed the tickets that were on a Wednesday and it happened to follow, um, the week after spring break, which allowed me to take, I ended up taking the spring break for the cruise off. And then also the week after. So I actually have not been back to work, um, in two weeks tomorrow. Tomorrow's kind of going to be a rude awakening for me as I get back into the swing of things. But um, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It was perfect. Just Matt and I going by ourselves. We uh, shockingly ate good food, and I did share about it um, in social media. Friedman's, for those of you who don't know and who go to New York City, write it down. I repeatedly go to Who Kitchen every time I was there um, mm-hmm. just because it's a great place. It's a safe place. And this time I told Matt I wanted to try some new places. So we did online research and there's a place called Friedman's. Um, It's in Times Square is where we went, but evidently there's a couple of restaurants. It was only a couple of blocks from the play. So it worked out perfectly, but they pride themselves on having a separate preparation space in their kitchen for gluten-free eaters and having a really, really broad, um, menu for people with dietary restrictions. So I was able to get chicken and waffles without corn and without gluten, which shocked me because most of the time, if it's gluten-free chicken and waffles, it has cornmeal. So that was super exciting. And um, Matt got cheesecake and, you know, other things. It was a really good meal. So if you're looking for um, an allergen-friendly restaurant, I would recommend that in New York City. Um, But then we came home quickly. So, and I said to Matt on the car ride home, I really want nothing more than to sleep in my own bed. And so it was like the perfect amount of vacation for when, you know, we were finally on our way home to be like, oh, I need my bed. I need, (laughs) I need to get back in the swing of things. So as tough as tomorrow is going to be, I think I'm, I'm ready for it. So I I always find, um, there's, you know, as much as it's sort of like, oh, uh, you know, getting back to routine, there's also this like, ah, getting back to routine. Yes. Like there's, there's a, a piece of it that's sort of like, I'm going to miss sleeping in and, you know, having a relaxing breakfast every morning. But at the same time, like I just, I really, I'm somebody who really thrives with a predictable schedule. And, um, you know, where I sort of tend to derail is where I start breaking my schedule, like staying up too late or, um, you know, having something extra, you know, 
to to that takes away from activity time or takes away from relaxation time like where things tend to unravel for me is whenever I've got a break in my routine so whenever I have this like okay now this break is over we're getting back to that routine there's something about it that's just it's such a relief to kind of slide back into this very predictable thing that my body just really loves so I think I think you'll end up you know by midday going like aha I get to use my brain in a different way. Awesome. Yes. Well, and I know that um, work is ready for me to come back because they were <laughs> starting to call me um, the second the second week, which I told them they could. So um, I'm glad that they couldn't live without me. And now I will be heading back and getting yes, getting back into routine and turning my brain back on in a different way and all that stuff. So um, anyway, I think maybe. Um, one of the things that I know we got questions about last week during the live, and it's one of our most common questions, is about that gray area of how do I know what I can eat and what what's, you know, kind of not going to completely put me out, but I can relax and enjoy my eating habits on um, travel and all that kind of stuff. So I thought this week's question is kind of a good um, lead into that because one of the things um, that happens is the longer, you know, we know ourselves and we, you know, work on healing foods and all that kind of stuff is I think it does often either get better or in some capacities you just learn really what, what your body does not um, do well with. So in my case, tomatoes, hot peppers, and corn. So um, perhaps you want to you wanna jump into our our topic? Yeah. I tried to give you a segue there, and then I ended I up just, like, closing it myself. That was awkward. It's, I need some I mean, practice. It's been a while. I, I still feel like you helped transition us from, <laughs> you know, we were on holiday topic to we're going to talk about a real subject this week topic. So, I mean... I think we're okay. Um, you're right in the sense that this week's topic is really a, a follow-up to a lot of the things that we talked about last week on our live show about food intolerance. And this is a question from Merritt. And Merritt says, thanks for putting out such great, informative, and fun podcasts. I really enjoy listening. My question is about food sensitivities and how to get rid of them. I'm an RD and have wondered about this for a long time. I'm familiar with the leaky gut principle and how that leads to food allergies or sensitivities. But in many cases, like my own, I have a pretty clean diet and have worked on digestive health for a long time. What I'm getting at is, if we are healthy people, shouldn't we be able to tolerate a wide variety of foods? Is there a missing piece I'm not getting? Is it possible to broaden the diet with nutrient-dense foods? Because um, that would be so wonderful. I read a book recently and talked to the author who said many of the food intolerances uh, that we suffer can be fixed by changing the gut microbiota. This seems logical, but also not entirely obvious if people like myself feel great and experiences, experience good digestive function if we don't eat the foods we're sensitive to. In my case, it's eggs. Boy, I would love a way to tolerate them again. Thanks so much for your time, gals. Well, I will definitely let you get into the nuance of gut health and all of that jazz. But I will say, it was, this was actually a concept that I first heard years and years ago at a paleo 
FX conference by Chris Kresser. And I remember um, he put up a slide on the presentation and it was kind of a bell curve looking slide. And it said, for most people, um, if you're working on healing yourself, then when you eat a food that is not an ideal food, you don't have this drastic top of the bell curve um, reaction to it. You ultimately, once you're healed, have this downward bell curve response to the food because your body is then lower inflammation overall and can work to process that food instead of having this huge spike. And, um, It was a concept that really resonated with me because there were a lot of foods in our family that um, I felt like the boys, over time, I hoped that they could reintroduce into their lives. Um, For example, dairy. High-quality dairy has benefits just as much as it has um, concerns, and we've talked about that to the nth degree here. Um, And I think another one is, in this case, eggs. And so I know for me, that was something that I kind of actively looked into and thought about and started working on um, reintroductions versus eliminations. And I know that's also a common question and concern that we get with people about how to go about reintroduction and um, when to to tell that it's um, okay to do. And, And you know, both Sarah and I have reintroduced different kinds of foods um, in our lives that previously or at different times we were sensitive to. And so I think it's really about um, figuring out if it's if it's a true allergy, for instance, you know, if someone is allergic to eggs or if they are allergic to peanuts um, in a drastic sort of way or if in, you know, in this case for me, uh, gluten that's never going to be something that I think a gut health is going to solve. Um, but I think for a lot of intolerance and sensitivity, we can work to really add these nutrient dense foods and the other factors specifically. I think the paleo approach outlines them really well, um, of lifestyle factors that we can implement in our lives to help our bodies be as, healthy as possible so that um, they can handle foods that maybe previously, you know, we, we couldn't tolerate well, but maybe now we can have them, you know, once or twice a month, but we can't do them every single day at every single meal and different things like that. Like that would build up more of a problem in our bodies. So I think that concept is, um, it's such a nuanced one. It's, I know people are looking for like a yes, do this, and then this will happen. But it's really so individualized in terms of each person's own bodies and where they are and and what their sensitivity is derived from and and all that kind of stuff, which I think you would do an excellent job of jumping into. (laughs) I was going to be like, and that's it for the podcast, everybody. Thanks very much. Um, No, I, you know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head is that there's a lot of nuance to this, which means that for most people, it's a little bit challenging to predict if a food that we're reacting to now is a food that we're going to be able to reintroduce successfully later or not. Uh, There are ways that we react to foods that uh, with 
attention to gut health, with attention to immune health, that we we can sort of recover from those reactions. And then there's other ways that we can react to foods that um, the mechanisms behind them are uh, much more rigid. So it, there's a much lower chance of us being able to add those back into our lives again. So one of the examples of a reaction to foods that is uh, not something that we're likely to recover from is one way that we can react to gluten is through uh, exaggerated zonulin production. So we talked about this uh, a few episodes ago, this idea of zonulin being released from uh, gut epithelial cells in response to uh, actually receptor binding with a small fraction of gluten. So um, gluten is a very difficult to digest protein. There's very predictable um, parts of the protein where our digestive enzymes will break it into smaller, what are called peptides, or like small fragments of proteins. And many uh, sort of of these predictable gluten peptides or glidin peptides are um, have biological activity and they're very, very well studied in the context of uh, their role in human health. This is the type of research that we know now, why there's a link between gluten and obesity. Uh, and this is a lot of where the celiac disease research comes from, is from studying specific glide and peptides. Um, we know that specific peptides can bind with receptors in the gut epithelial cells. So those are the cells that form the barrier of our small intestines and that they trigger the release of, of zonulin into the gut. And this happens in everybody. I think this is one of the things that uh, is sort of uh, passed over when we talk about zonulin because in celiac disease, there's this exaggerated zonulin release, but actually zonulin is released in response to gluten consumption in everybody. It's just way more in celiacs. And zonulin, uh, the thing that it does is it actually unravels tight junctions between epithelial cells. So these are these complex that help glue these cells together. Uh, when you kind of unravel the proteins that form that complex, you open up a space in between cells in which things can leak inside the body. And so we know that if you unravel a tight junction between epithelial cells, that that barrier becomes more permeable. It becomes leakier. So we know that uh, there's, you know, zonulin is released in response to gluten consumption in everybody, but it's much more exaggerated in celiacs. And we actually have some data now to show that non-celiacs with celiac risk genes. So if you're somebody who has uh, HLA-DQ2 or HLA-DQ8 uh, alleles, which these are, you know, 97-ish percent of celiacs have one or both of these two alleles of, of the human leukocyte antigen gene, uh, we now have some evidence showing that uh, everybody with those uh, alleles has this exaggerated zonulin production. And so that means that if you if you have these celiac risk genes, you have leaky gut caused by gluten consumption. And so that is a genetically driven reaction to a food. It's not going to go away no matter how many gut healing foods you consume. When you have gluten, it is always going to cause that damage to the intestinal barrier. Now, if you have a really healthy gut microbiome, you have a really nutrient sufficient diet, you're getting tons of sleep, uh, your stress levels managed, you're living an active lifestyle, but you're avoiding overtraining, all of those things that we know that are so important for gut health and immune health, 
later in life, you'll probably recover from that faster. So we know like in, in celiacs that it can take six months or more for the gut lining to repair after gluten exposure. Uh, we don't really have a good sense of how long it takes in people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Although if you just look at normal sort of cell turnover rates in the gut, you can sort of estimate that it would be about three weeks for a normal person who's not facing the same sort of barriers to healing as somebody with celiac disease. But that is an example of a food sensitivity. It's not technically an allergy or intolerance that is genetically driven, that is unlikely to or it just it can't go away. It's something that is going to happen every time you eat wheat for your entire life. Uh, what may change is how quickly you recover. So that is that may symptomatically still feel different over time, but the mechanism behind that reaction is not going to change. A lot of food intolerances are antibody-driven. So allergies, of course, are antibody-driven. They're they're driven by a specific a type of antibody called IgE antibodies, but there's four other types of antibodies, which are the antibodies that, I mean, there have other rules protecting us from parasites, for example. Um, they have other rules in the body, but they also can be the drivers of food intolerance. So that is a, a type of mechanism where focusing on immune health, focusing on gut health, avoiding those foods for a long period of time that mechanism can actually diminish. So uh, Ig um, antibodies, uh, or I, uh, no matter what type, IgE, IgG, IgA, IgM, IgD, antibodies are made by a type of cell called B cells. And uh, B cells, when they sort of, they produce basically one antibody. So one cell produces one antibody. If you have an infection, that cell replicates really quickly. So you have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of that cell producing that antibody. When you have, uh, you know, fought off that virus successfully, those cells will die. So you won't have all these extra cells, you know, making antibodies against a flu virus. And there's a very similar thing happening if you have um, B cells that are producing an antibody against a food antigen. So they're producing an antibody against, let's say, eggs in Merritt's case. And when you stop eating eggs, it kind of looks the same to the immune system as if you successfully fought off that flu virus. That stimulus isn't there. So those cells die down. But one of the things that they do when they're dividing is they, there's a small number of those cells that become what are called memory B cells. So these are cells that remember, aha, I don't like this flu virus or I don't like eggs. And they circulate in the body all the time so that when you get exposed to that flu virus again, the idea is that you can mount a faster response. And that's why Every time you get the flu, it might seem like the same symptoms, but it's actually a different virus. If you're exposed to the same virus a second time, your body actually will fight it off before the virus can replicate enough to cause symptoms. So this is called immunological memory. This is how vaccines work. This is why you can't get sick with the same virus more than once in your life. So there's immunological memory for food allergies and food intolerances as well. Now, what's really interesting, though, is that these cells still do have a finite lifespan. They don't live in your body for the rest of your life. So uh, initially, when you stop eating whatever that food is, eggs, 
the cells that are making the antibodies will die off. Uh, if you challenge eggs in that period of time before all of those cells um, are completely dead, that's when you can have these exaggerated responses. That's how elimination and challenge diets work. Um, if you wait until all of those cells that are making the antibodies die off and you only have the memory cells left, this is where you can get away with the occasional consumption because consuming it once primes the immune system to respond to it a second time but doesn't actually get the reaction going. Consuming it a few times close together can get that reaction going. And this is where we can get into that interesting gray area of I'm okay with this food if I consume it once in a while, but I'm not okay with this food if I consume it every week. Um, this is one of the reasons why there's uh, food rotation diets that are suggested for people with a lot of food intolerances and they uh, will range in like rotating every four days to every seven days. It's sort of based on giving enough time for that primed immune system to calm down before you're exposed to that antigen again. Um, and But most of us will find that sort of weekly is about the most we can get away with for a lot of these foods. And I certainly have foods that are more like a once a month type food. Um, and that I sort of notice that if I consume it more than that, I won't feel as good the second time. And this is the mechanism behind it. So it's it's this uh, memory that the immune system has for, oh yeah, those eggs, they're, they're, you know, they're bad news. I'm going to remember that they're bad news. But this is why food intolerances can go away completely, especially as uh, the gut heals, the immune system gets better at regulating itself because of diet and lifestyle that's all dialed in, is eventually those memory cells can die as well. So then there's no reaction and there's no memory for that reaction. So then when you consume eggs, the, the bot, you know, the, the immune system doesn't remember that, that eggs w were a problem. And so this is where we can, uh, recover from food intolerances. Now it's, what's really interesting about this is the lifespan of memory cells is longer when they remember IgE reactions. So when they remember allergies, their lifespan tends to be longer than uh, IgG reactions, which drive most types of food intolerance. So this is why food intolerance tends to be a much more dynamic system and food allergies tend to be more lifelong. And it's because of the lifespan of memory cells. And every time you do get exposed, it, it almost like resets the clock on those, those memory cells. So you're going to prime the immune system a little bit. You're going to get those memory cells to divide. Um, so you're going to sort of like reset the clock on how long is it going to be before I don't have this reaction anymore. So that's an example of a way that we can react to food. We're avoidance of the food and focusing on uh, gut health in general. So if you have a healthy gut barrier, you're going to have less of the food antigen getting into the body. So if you have a leaky gut, you're going to have more of that food antigen getting in the body. So you're going to have more of a stimulus for the immune system to respond. So focusing on gut health becomes really important and immune health. So focusing on all those nutrients that are so important for immune regulation, like vitamin A and vitamin D and zinc, so that the immune system can determine if it's responding appropriately to something. So that's an example of a type of reaction to food in which just avoidance and dialing in diet and lifestyle can make that reaction go away eventually. Then there's other types of reactions that merit uh, 
alluded to, that can be gut microbiota driven. And so a lot of the um, sort of broad classes of uh, food sensitivities, so FODMAP sensitivity, histamine sensitivity, salicylate sensitivity, oxalate sensitivity, there seems to be a really strong link between all of these and our gut bacteria. And so like oxalates are a really great example. True oxalate sensitivity is a very, very rare genetic condition. Um, but there are a lot of people without that genetic condition who report having uh, sort of GI symptoms, joint pain symptoms in response to high oxalate foods. And that's almost certainly driven by a gut bacteria imbalance because we are supposed to have oxalate degrading bacteria in our digestive tract. We're supposed to have histamine degrading bacteria in our digestive tract. We're supposed to have uh, bacteria that help us digest uh, FODMAPs in our digestive tract. Our bacteria help regulate gut barrier integrity. They help regulate the immune system. So we can have a variety of um, food reactions that are driven by having either a lack of specific probiotic strains or an overgrowth of specific uh, sort of unhelpful strains, not necessarily pathogenic, but for example, in the case of histamine intolerance, you can have, instead of histamine degrading enzymes, you can have, or histamine degrading uh, bacteria in the digestive tract, you can have histamine forming bacteria in the digestive tract. So instead of degrading histamine for you, they're converting histidine into histamine and, and actually increasing the amount of histamine that your body's absorbing after you eat. So in those cases, correcting the gut bacteria imbalances can completely reverse those, um, those particular food sensitivities. They're, they're technically called sensitivities because they're not driven by an antibody. So if it's driven by an IgE antibody, it's an allergy. If it's driven by any other kind of antibody and it's, it's an intolerance, if it's any other kind of reaction, it's a sensitivity. So in those cases, um, restoring um, a healthy gut microbiome where you have a you know huge diversity of probiotic strains can completely correct those sensitivities because you have the right bacteria to help us break down these compounds that, you know, historically and traditionally we had a gut microbiome that would do that for us. Um, and in our current environment where um, we're exposed to so many compounds that impact the health of our gut microbiomes uh, and not just antibiotics, we're talking about things like pesticides, hormones, uh, low fiber diets, um, you know, and, and a low fiber diet at any point in our lives. Um, a lot of other medications can impact uh, our gut microbiomes, uh, a lot of lifestyle choices, not getting enough sleep, overtraining. Um, there's a lot of things that actually impact um, diversity in our guts. And one of the things that we know is really important for healthy gut microbiome is a, a diversity of different organisms. So those are excellent examples of where addressing gut microbiome health can fix an intolerance. And the way that you, that, you know, the most, the biggest keys We've talked about this in the podcast before with gut microbiome health. Uh, be active, but don't overtrain. Get enough sleep. Manage stress. Eat a ton of vegetables, eight plus servings a day, um, aiming for at least 25 grams of, of vegetable-based fiber a day um, and more for men. So uh, 25 grams for women, 30 grams or more for men. Um, and consume um, a lot of omega-3 fats. So consume seafood. 
um, but keep total fat intake on the moderate side. So 20 to 50% from calories, which is where we naturally land on a standard paleo diet. Um, but uh, gut bacteria don't like really high fat environments and they don't like uh, high saturated fat. So they um, just changing the types of fats we eat can be very corrective on gut bacteria. And then consuming um, you know, natural sources of probiotics, so foods to inoculate the gut like a wild fermented sauerkraut, like kombucha, like water kefir. Um, these types of food help seed the gut with a higher diversity of microorganism and much, much better than a probiotic. Probiotics are really great for certain situations where you're dealing with undergrowth of beneficial strains. Um, but I heard at uh, this conference that I was at a few weeks ago, uh, probiotics were described as a monocrop for the gut bacteria, which I thought was a really excellent way of describing what a probiotic supplement does because you're consuming billions of uh, colony-forming units of a couple of strains compared to a sauerkraut, which might have 600-plus strains in it. So it's actually far better unless you're dealing with one of those situations where you have undergrowth and you need this um, high-dose probiotic to help you know, they, they then, you're adding a lot of probiotic bacteria for specific function. Uh, if you're just looking for overall gut health and trying to correct imbalances, you're looking for that diversity of uh, organisms to re-inoculate the gut. A wild fermented fruit or vegetable uh, is going to be vastly superior simply because it's going to be one of the few ways that we can expose ourselves to that diversity of strains. So in terms of, you know, pulling this all together, in terms of uh, you know, how do I get rid of my food intolerance, or my food sensitivity? It's really challenging to know the mechanism behind that particular intolerance. I mean, you know, if it's eggs, you can do uh, a food sensitivity panel. You have to have eaten it relatively recently for it to show up as positive. Um, there are false negatives and false positives, as we talked on the show um, a few episodes ago. So there's um, some some a grain of salt that all of these tests need to be taken with as we're, as we're analyzing the results. But um, really in the, at the end of the day, we don't really know if we're going to get over a food intolerance without periodically challenging that food and seeing how we react and knowing that if we're too impatient with that challenge, we can be resetting the clock. So it it's sort of a frustrating getting back to Stacy what you sort of said at the top of it it ends up being nuanced and very individualized. This is where that comes in because there's not a set amount of time that memory cells live. It's it's a huge range. Um anywhere from a couple of months to decades. And there's no way of me being able to tell you, you have memory cells for this food intolerance. That's just not, there's no test that we can do for that. So, um, so really the only thing that we have at the end of the day is continue to make good choices and uh, try to be patient with the foods that we're intolerant to. But in answer more directly to Merritt's question, these mechanisms can be present in our body even when we are otherwise extremely healthy people. So it's it's not a surprise that most healthy people still have some foods that they absolutely cannot tolerate ever. 
I was waiting for the mic to drop. I didn't hear it. I mean, <laughs> I can do it. I can do it right now. All right, mic drop. I need to. I just need to do this. Did that sound like a mic drop? Yeah, not right, quite loud enough, but good enough for okay. people in cars whose speakers don't need to be bursting. That's true. That's true. Well, I don't have any follow up questions. I think <laughs> you certainly covered it. I, I do just want to remind people, kind of like what you said at the end. It is nuanced, and it can feel overwhelming to hear the long list of things that need to be done between exercise and sleep and vegetables and nutrient-dense foods. You know, remember that this is a journey and that each day you make a better choice than what you would have made before or whatever the case may be. It just gets you closer to the ideal, and that... It can be incredibly frustrating to want to add things back in. So, for example, eggs, you might be able to tolerate, like we said, you know, one exposure to it and then giving your body time to heal. Or it might be the case that, for example, like me, I couldn't do eggs for, I think it was about 9 to 12 months, and then added back in egg yolks and you know, like gradually brought them back in and was able to integrate them back. It really just depends on your individualness, but the more you get frustrated and the more you get stressed about it not going the way you want it to go, the less it's going to go that way because the harder it'll be on your body. <laughs> so so I, I, I know that that's really difficult, but, um, you know, Sarah and I, when we were on book tour, one of the common things that we would hear from people is, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and it's not working for me. And we could hear the stress and the tension in people's voices as they were talking about all these things that they were doing, and it wasn't working out the way they wanted. And Sarah, almost every single time, would be like, <laughs> okay, well, are you sleeping? <laughs> are yeah. you relaxing? Like, are you doing these things? And so um, I just want to remind people that those things are just so very important to our health and our healing, not just food, not just sleep, but stress is such an impactful thing on our health that the more you can relax into it and just say, you know, what will be, what will be, um, the, the tour guides in Jamaica had us repeat, I remember, like everything's going to be okay. So just repeat after me, hey, wait, I remember, I R E I R E means like, everything's going to be all right. And then you say man after everything in Jamaica. So I remember. I remember. I love it. Yep. I say it all the time now. There you go. Makes me, uh, makes me feel, uh, <laughs> I know I sound if tricky, nothing else, but you'll get a little giggle. Cool. Yes. Yeah. You'll get a little giggle thinking of us saying I remember. Um, wait, wait, so what does I R Does it stand for something? I don't, I, I probably Jamaicans have like a slang language that, you know, that's, I mean, you've never heard awesome. of that before? Is this a Canadian thing? You've never... I grew up in Virginia Beach where Bob Marley was all the rage. So, for me, this is not news. It, I Let's blame it on being Canadian, although it probably <laughs> has more to do with being a socially isolated nerd. Um, but let's let's say, yeah, it's yes. a Canadian thing. We let's just throw all of Canada us. under the bus. Yes. Yeah. Canada, you're with me, right? Like, I know, all of Canada supports me on this one. Just, you know, they're like, yeah, sure, Sarah, it's a Canadian thing. We there all, yeah, go. A, yeah, we got it. 
Awesome. Well, just just my my little Stacy's soapbox to remind people to relax because I have to remind myself pretty regularly. So I thought maybe you might need to hear it as well, everybody. Uh, other than that, that's a show, and we're so glad that you're here and you came back after our awkward live show last week. <laughs> And you stuck with us till the end, so we're big fans. High five, jazz hands, everybody. We just want to oh, remind you. I can't see them, though. What? I can't see the jazz hands, though. I'm doing them. I'm, like, still doing them. I'm, just I'm wearing, hold on, I'm wearing bingo bracelets. Oh, that's epic. Um, but if you do enjoy the show, it means so much to us when you refer family and friends and you share episodes that you think that would be helpful to them and you know you can take this link from either of our blogs and post it on your facebook page and share it with people for episodes that you love if you've already left a review on itunes but you really loved a certain episode or it resonated with you or you think it might help those people in your life your referrals are so helpful to us spreading our words and our mission and it is so helpful so that. In addition to, if you'd like to support the podcast, we, of course, love it if you shop the links in the sidebars of our blogs and clicking the links in the show notes you can find at The Paleo Mom or Real Everything. What else am I missing? I feel like I might have gotten it all and I did a transition at the beginning what is happening? It seems like I, I might have gotten some sleep on vacation. Yeah, it's like the refreshed post-vacation. We're, like, so organized we don't know what to do. <laughs> it is kind of awkward. I'm like, wait, I just did everything. Here's, here's the thing that we're missing. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Ta-da. So cheerful and Canadian. Right? Uh, I'm so looking forward to a trip home. I don't know when we're going exactly, but, you know, sometime in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Well, I'm going I'll, to Minneapolis. I'll come home and I'll have my Canadian accent back and I'll be all out and about places, eh? For a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll be back to uh, going out and about now. You hear? <laughs> Y'all. <laughs> Y'all. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much the only two accents I have. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.